Welcome to About the Wine Lens. In this show, we will be chatting to leaders, influencers, wine producers, restaurants, and other role players. Tune in every week for our latest episode. You will find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram TV, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to About the Winelands. Today, I'm talking to um, Johan Milan. Johan is the owner and uh, winemaker at um, Simonser Wine Estate. Um, welcome to um, About the Winelands, Johan. Thank you very much, Will. Uh, thank you for having me, and uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. No, it's uh, we appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate the fact that you are taking the time to speak to us, and um, I'm sure they're going to be very interested in um, learning more about Simon Sech and um, the fantastic history of Simon Sech and stuff like that. Johan, can you start by, by telling us, um, you know, a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved in the wine industry and things like that? Yeah, um, you know, we, we're a family-owned uh, wine estate, and my um, involvement here goes back to when I was born, actually, uh, and uh, grew up on the estate and uh, basically uh, with wine in my blood uh, from from the date of birth. I did consider other options in, as a career, but I think wine is something that uh, is a lifestyle and that's what attracted me to, to uh, go and study winemaking at Stellenbosch University after uh, finishing school in Stellenbosch. Um, and the other thing that I think played a big role is that uh, because uh, on, a, on a wine farm like this, during December holidays, uh, there's no holiday because it's uh, peak season before the vintage um, arrives. And we were also farming uh, deciduous fruit in those days that uh, December's when the schools closed, we uh, started working uh, with my father on the, on the farm, uh, doing irrigation, picking fruit. And uh, I think that's how uh, you you grow to love the the involvement and all the processes that uh, it entails. And I think that's very stimulating because winemaking is a very different type of farming. Because uh, on the one hand, you're working with uh, nature. You are close to the soil. You plant the vineyards, make wine eventually. And uh, then in the end, what makes wine so unusual is that you actually share it with the end consumer. Uh, the wine lover and I think the the way that you interact with the, the consumer is something that uh, distinguishes wine farming from many other types of farming and uh, also through that you meet wonderful people and people who love wine are also people who, who enjoy a good life, uh, the lifestyle, good food. So I think um, I've never uh, regretted the fact that I decided to become a winemaker. Uh, there was only um, the one concern at one stage that we were three brothers and uh, if we all decided to become winemakers, that would have been a bit of a family fight in the end. And that's very interesting. Johan, it's uh, interesting that you say, uh, um, I never thought about it like this, um, you know, um, a winery is unique in the in the in the way that you um, interact with your consumer because obviously the, the finished product um, on the estate especially um, is made. Um, you know, where most farmers, if you're a wheat farmer, you don't make the bread, 
you just provide the wheat somewhere. Yes, I think the 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 whole concept uh, of making wine and putting it in the bottle uh, is what brings you uh, to that position where you're adding value, you're creating an, a name of your estate. So that's a, a brand that uh, becomes established in, in your market. And as we are uh, exporting to so many countries, you know, the name Simonsov travels all over the world. And, and I think all of that is something very special uh, because it's also something that goes from one generation to the next. If you uh, speak to people like uh, Piero Antonori in Italy, I think they've been doing it for 16 generations. So uh, it's wow. something that uh, uh, becomes a, an heirloom that uh, goes from the one uh, generation to the next. So we are only in our, in our fourth generation now, so there's lots of uh, room for... Uh, for further development down the line. Yeah, that is, is something that I think is pretty unique to wine. And it's interesting, you know, I've spoken to quite a few um, um, winemakers and, and, and um, estate owners, and one of the things that people always say, they see themselves more as custodians of, of history rather than owners of something. Yeah, we always say we we are not the, um, the, the owners, we are actually just uh, looking after the property uh, for our children, because I think that's that's any wine grower's uh, dream is that his children will take over from him and uh, take it into the next generation and and expand it, grow it, and also make it uh, more successful. Um, I think in in farming it often works like that uh, for other types of farming too. That's very true. So talking about that, can you give us a little bit of a history of Simonsuch? I mean, it has a fantastic history, and I think people would love to hear more about you know, the history of the estate. Yes, um, the estate uh, is uh, was originally part of the bigger farm called Kulinov in our region, yeah, and that was handed out uh, by the, the governor of, of the Cape province at the time, uh, Simon van der Stel. So it dates back to 1682, which was just three years after the town of Stellenbosch uh, was founded in 1679. So over those farms were really quite big, you know, a few thousand hectares. And um, uh, over the years, they were subdivided. So our uh, estate was uh, part of the original farm going back to 1682. Um, and my grandfather, uh, bought this farm in uh, 1942 uh, from the previous owner. And uh, before I get to that, uh, another piece of interesting history was during the the uh, Anglo-Boer War in 1899 to 1902, it was actually used as a, a remount camp for the British forces. So they, they would import uh, horses to go to the front, but before they were sent uh, up north, the horses were sort of quarantined and acclimatized here uh, in this area. And we have pictures with uh, the soldiers' tents and there's, there's still a, a drinking trough of the horses uh, wow. uh, going back to, to that uh, part of our history nearly, well, more than a hundred years ago. So um, it, it's uh, interesting that uh, this area was, was used for that. Um, so. About 40 years later, my, my grandfather bought the farm 
Um, and then in 1953, my father uh, took over the, the running of the farm. So uh, he studied winemaking at Stellenbosch University and actually did a, a master's degree in enology. And um, very soon realized that uh, he wanted to modernize things. And uh, in 1964, it was still a new thing to have cold fermentation. I think that's something in the history of our wine industry in South Africa that should never be underestimated is the, the invention of cooling down the wine while it was, uh, uh, while it is fermenting. And I think that it caused a huge uh, increase in quality of our white wines in, in particular, because the thing is, if you just leave the fermentation to go uh, naturally, the temperature increases and that uh, sort of evaporates a lot of the uh, volatile, uh, fruity flavors and esters and so on. And, and in Europe, they don't need to do that because in harvest, it's uh, mm -hmm. September, October, it's already quite cold in the Northern Hemisphere and sometimes their cellars are underground. So there's a natural way of, of having a cool fermentation. We are in the midst of February, March, so uh, fermentations can become very hot and the end result is a wine that is quite neutral and uh, bland. So when this was discovered, uh, it increased the quality of our wines tremendously. So my father then uh, installed a cooling plant, you know, that could chill water, that it could circulate over the fermentation tanks. And at that time, and this was now 1964, um, it was quite revolutionary. And at that time, it was uh, seen as the most modern, privately owned wine cellar in, in South Africa. And uh, also uh, at that time, he, he bought another vineyard across the, the valley, um, which had the wonderful name of Hillbrow, you know, um, which was a bit uh, funny in the in the context of Hillbrow in Johannesburg. Yeah. But he's uh, a neighbor at the time was when Paul Sauer of Canonkop, and he said to him, France, but you can't have a farm called the Hillbrow in Stellenbosch. And because this this farm has got the, the wonderful view of the Simonsberg in, in Stellenbosch, the mountain that was named after uh, Governor Simon van der Stel, um, who founded the town of Stellenbosch. And uh, because of this view, we called it Simonsach, which means the view of, of Simon. And that's been our, our label and our brand uh, ever since. So... Um, this started to take on a new meaning uh, in 1968 because at that time it was the customary thing that you had a winery on your farm, you made wine and then sold it to the, the, the handful of big wine merchants who bought the wine in bulk and then bottled the wine under their own labels. Uh, so we're talking now uh, companies like Stellenbosch Farmers Winery, Distillers Corporation, and KWV who could uh, export it for it. And, um, but the, the minimum wine price was then controlled by uh, legal means. You know, the, it was set by the, the KWV that you couldn't sell wine below a certain minimum price and it was actually enforced by law. And um, it was uh, very low uh, if you look back, you know, and my, my father, bought a new farm, he uh, modernized the cellars and soon realized that he cannot make it financially viable if he had to sell wine in bulk. 
um, because at that time the bulk wine price was uh, nine cents per liter. Um, and uh, he decided that he must add value and start to bottle his own wine under the Simonsach label. So that uh, was in 1968. So two years ago, we celebrated our 50th uh, anniversary of the, the birth year of uh, Simonsach estate wine, so which was a, a huge milestone. Um, because if you, if you go back to that era, uh, there were only four other privately owned estates in Stellenbosch who had their own label, who bottled their own wines under their own label. So it was a very uh, uh, daring thing to do because, on the other hand, you were still um, in the market with the most of your, your wine every year to be sold to the merchants, and then uh, they could see you as, as competition. Um, so what happened then was that uh, with a very small beginning, Simon Sich had uh, three different white wines, Estien, which we still do today, uh, under the Chenin Blanc label, uh, a Riesling and a Claret Blanche. And then the first red wine was a Pinotage in 1970. But it was very hard to sell those wines. And uh, he realized that it's, it's uh, the biggest problem of the whole process is not making the wine and bottling it. And uh, so he started uh, a mail order business. So he would send uh, newsletters to an, an address list uh, all over the country. And then we would receive the orders by post over the country. So I remember that uh, vividly how December holidays or uh, we would uh, take the lorry with lots of cases of wine and put it down in a, in a asbestos shed down at Kulinov station just down the road from us. So. Fantastic memories if you uh, if you think how humbly the business uh, started. It was not possible actually to sell wine from your own cellar door. And um, because he loved traveling and in 1969 and 70, he did uh, extensive travels in Europe and France, uh, specifically also Germany and Italy and so on. And um, on one of these trips, he, he was traveling with the, his good friend, Neil Hubert, who was the owner of uh, Spear Wine Estate in those days. Mm -hmm. And uh, they came back with the idea to start the, the Stellenbosch Wine Route, and, um, which uh, happened in 1971. So uh, next year, the Wine Route of Stellenbosch will be 50 years old, which is also a, a big milestone. Um, but it was uphill battle all the way. And the only thing they actually wanted to do is to get wine lovers and consumers to get in their cars and drive out to the wine farms and, and buy wine directly from the seller. Um, but it was uh, such an unheard of concept. And uh, it was, uh, it took them quite some time to get, uh, to get it off the ground. And along the way, um, they uh, roped in the energetic spot spelling of Deline, mm -hmm. who uh, was one of the wineries bottling their own wines already. And the three of them are definitely seen as, as the fathers of the, the whole wine route concept, because that was the, the first wine route in South Africa. Um, and it's been a very successful concept, you know, many, every single wine region nowadays um have their own 
wine route and and it also generated a lot of tourism which uh, is now perhaps one of the western cape's biggest uh, employers as well as uh, in earning a, a huge uh, income and foreign foreign uh, currency well, you, so Jan, that, I, must, I must say, I think that was the understatement of the year to say it was very <laughs> successful. I think, you know, um, as you know, if you travel abroad and, and stuff like that, and South Africa's um, whole wine tourism industry and the, the, the whole concept that your father created there is absolutely unique in the world. There's nowhere like it. I mean, I've been to, to many places and you always expect, because, because coming from the Western Cape, you expect um, other regions to be the same. But there's no comparison, and I don't think that that people always appreciate how unique our um, wine route experience actually is. Yes, definitely. And uh, you know, well, the the one thing that I don't think you could have foreseen it at that time, but more recently, the uh, the food and wine pairing and the combination has really uh, found fantastic uh, expression here in in the winelands. Uh, if you only look at the, the list of the top 10 restaurants in the country, how, how often you find that quite a few of them are situated on, on wine estates. Uh, and that is in reinforcing the whole concept that, that wine should always be uh, uh, enjoyed with food. And the, the culinary standards and the quality of, of uh, the restaurants in the Western Cape is just uh, fantastic, you know, it's absolutely world-class, uh, which is also a, a feather in the cap of, of the wine industry, and as, as, especially here in our region in, in Stellenbosch. Absolutely. Um, Johan, you're talking about, you know, the, the whole history and everything. Um, uh, you're obviously the, the thing that keeps everything going is the wine. So what is your, um, how would you sum up your winemaking philosophy? And can you tell us a bit more also about the wines that you are producing? Yes, I think the the one wine that uh, Simon Sech is definitely the best known for is the Carps of Funkel uh, method Cap Classique, which uh, also has a, a lovely history because uh, my father uh, also on one of his uh, travels went to Champagne and, and came back with the idea of making a South African bottle fermented sparkling wine. Uh, he was he was actually quite frustrated at that time that we had very few grape varieties and so he had a steer he had a Riesling and a Claret Blanche and that was basically the, the limit of, of the different wine styles that he could make. So he thought well he can he can do the, the sparkling wine version of a Chenin Blanc because we had no Chardonnay and we had no uh, Pinot Noir at the time in, available in South Africa. So in 1971, he made the first uh, Carps of Funkel using Chenin Blanc, uh, which is what they do along the Loire Valley. Uh, and uh, we couldn't call it Champagne. I think that was actually a good thing in retrospect. Uh, so we had to come up with a name and uh, came up with Carps of Funkel, which means uh, Cape Sparkle. And for 10 years, uh, Simon's Carps of Funkel was the only um, method champenoise made uh, in South Africa. 
So uh, that is definitely one of our uh, main focus areas. So we have the Carpsophonkel Brut, which is a blend of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Minier. Uh, we do a, a Brut Rosé, which is also three different uh, Pinot varieties, um, mainly Pinot Noir. Uh, is about one third of Pinotage and uh, a little bit of Pinot Minier. Uh, then we also have two uh, satin nectar wines, which uh, is uh, slightly sweeter. So in the demisec category, which were launched relatively recently um, with the South African market now uh, growing uh, and the, you know, as, as the, the middle class and people in the uh, earning better income, they are definitely growing their interest in wine. So the slightly sweeter version uh, which in South Africa is called satin nectar, or you can refer to it as uh, demisec, is uh, growing in popularity. And I think it's a fantastic way of introducing a whole new generation to wine. And then uh, last but not least, our prestige cuvée is a uh, Blanc de Blanc called Cuvée Royale. So that's made from 100% Chardonnay and uh, spends about five years on the on the leaves in the bottle before it is uh, released. So that's the, the, the sparkling wine cup to seek category. Uh, then we do uh, the full spectrum of red wines. Uh, at the top, we have the Lund family selection where the I think the most uh, famous one is the Simon Tiara, which is a, a Bordeaux style blend and uh, mainly based on, on Cabernet, because I'm a firm believer of Cabernet Sauvignon in, in Stellenbosch. Uh, but I'll tell you a bit more about that. Uh, we have the Redil Pinotage, which is a single vineyard uh, Pinotage, and then a single vineyard Syrah called the Merendol Syrah. And uh, last but not least, the wine I named after my father called Franz Milan. And that is a Cape blend, so it's a Cabernet uh, Pinotage, Cabernet, and Merlot. Um, then if, if you look at the white wines, we have uh, a very strong relationship with Shannon because it goes back to our roots right from the beginning in 1968. Uh, so we've been making uh, Simon Stien or the Shannon Blanc for more than 50 years. And, you know, all over the world, it is still our uh, most popular wine. We also do a wooded Chenin Blanc, um, which is uh, fascinating for me. I love working with that because it comes from the oldest vineyard on the estate planted in, in the mid-80s. So uh, within a year or so, I think we'll be part of the old, old vineyard uh, scheme. Um, so that's more of a, a wood-fermented Chenin. Uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, um, a Gewürztraminer, which is uh, also one of the, the wines that date back from the 70s, slightly in a sweeter German Auslese style, but um, really good with certain types of food. And uh, yeah, then, you know, uh, the little bits and pieces that often uh, makes the winemakers happy is... Uh, Wines like the uh, um, the Nobelate Harvest, which is Arius. named after my mother, called Van der Leijer, but again, based on a on the basis of uh, 
sutern, so it's uh, botrytis, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, and um, Simeon uh, that spend some time in barrel. So that's not a nutshell, but that, that gives you an impression of the, the whole portfolio of wines. Uh, but before I forget, I mentioned about Stellenbosch Cabernet. Um, and, you know, the reason why Simonsach has a, quite an extensive range is that in the early years, we we were uh, we had to sell wines to all the different market segments and niches, and so uh, we were totally independent and uh, not relying on on a cooperative to sell our wine or the big merchants. So um, actually, we expanded the range, and I think it, partly in in my generation, but I always see it as a the future opportunity for the next generation um, is to specialize. And, and one of the things that I realized that Stellenbosch is very blessed in the sense that you can make really, really high quality wine of so many different grape varieties and blends. So from Cup Classique, you can do the Chardonnays and Shannon, and you can do Shiraz and Cabernet. Um, but a few years ago, I, I sat with a friend and I said, but but what is Stellenbosch famous for? And, you know, after a few bottles of wine, we actually realized that Cabernet Sauvignon is, is the variety that does best in Stellenbosch compared to other regions. Uh, and that was, was uh, never really exploited. So in the past few years, we, we started the Stellenbosch Cabernet Collective. Um, and Christo Larisch is the is the young energetic uh, chairman at the moment. And the idea is to, to take Cabernet Sauvignon as a varietal wine in Stellenbosch and give it its, its rightful place. Because if you go to, to Napa Valley in California, you know, mm. they stand for Cabernet and they are famous for Cabernet. And if you go to the US market, um, the single variety Cabernet is the iconic wine from uh, from California and Napa Valley, and quite often in South Africa we we take off the, the French and we try to do the the Bordeaux style blends. So the the um, Cabernet Collective is aiming to to give um, more prominence and do justice to to straight Cabernet. So for that uh, reason, we have the Simons the Garland which is a, a single veneered straight Cabernet from the uh, slopes of uh, Simonsburg, one of the best wards in the Stellenbosch region for, for making Cabernet. So that uh, was uh, initiated and the first garland I made was 2008. And um, I think it was actually a little bit before his time uh, at that stage, there was nothing like the Cape like the Stellenbosch Cabernet Collective, but uh, definitely now our icon wine in the range. Well, that's amazing, Johan. Um, you know, uh, well, your family has had so many achievements, but um, recently, I mean, and I can see from your winemaking philosophy why, is um, you've recently won the Diners Club Winemaker of the Year Award. So firstly, congratulations on that. And um, but um, I don't want to take your thunder. Tell us a bit more about 
um, uh, you know, what the award's about and, um, you know, how you won. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you know, in a, in a year like this, uh, the uh, Diners Club Winemaker of the Year Award was definitely like the, the, silver the silver lining around the dark cloud because everything was just, uh, I thought about it the other day, it's, it was just a zoom and gloom. Um, and uh, this was a wonderful way to, to end the year. And um, the category was for uh, Cup Classic, which is nowadays, you know, there are more than 200 uh, wine sellers producing uh, Cup Classic. So it's a very big category. And uh, so the competition is, is very strong. Uh, so it make, made it even more uh, special and we really grateful about that uh, the wine that, that did it for, for uh, us was the Kaupse Funkel. Mm -hmm. It was a 2015 vintage. So the wine was five years old at the time of the, the panel's decision. And uh, the, the interesting thing is 2015 is generally regarded and rated as one of the best vintages ever. But people tend to think only of, of red wines. But this is a, a good Proof mm -hmm. that uh, even the Cup Classic wines of 2015 uh, were really, really special in terms of of uh, quality of the vintage, and and those wines tend to come through as time goes on. Um, and I'm a very big uh, lover of older Cup Classic, so I like keeping back some some wine uh, still on the on the lees in the bottle. So we have uh, vintages of Carps of Funkel going back to 99, still on its lead, so 20 years later. Wow. Um, and every now and again for, a, for one of our vintage days, uh, when we do a, like an open day for our, all our older vintages, we disgorge uh, some of the older vintages, like almost like a recently disgorged wine. Um, uh, so that to to show people that Cup Classique is really a, a wine that matures very well. But the, um, the wonderful thing about Diners Club is that they've been doing this for, for 40 years. And it's always about a single category and about a single style of wine in a specific year. So you have to be... Uh, put your best best foot forward um, for that wine and and the fortunate thing is that uh, the 2015 was just at that uh, perfect stage of its development where it it was a, a fantastic combination of the freshness of the fruit as well as the the development in the bottle that gives the is with the the warm bread yeasty brioche character so uh, it is really uh, showing uh, beautifully at this stage. Yeah, Andy, I'm very grateful to Diners Club because apart from the, the honor of getting the title of, of Winemaker of the Year, they also sponsor a, a flight ticket and some prize money so you can visit uh, any wine destination in the world. So uh, there's, I hope COVID gets over its uh, troubles so we can do a bit of traveling. Um, I haven't decided finally yet where I want to go, but I just um, wanted to ask you that. I, I thought you'd share that secret with us. Where you're going? Um, there's one, uh, two countries I definitely uh, uh, 
I've never been to Chile and Argentina and, uh, mm. in South America. So that's definitely um, my first choice at this stage because uh, they're also in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and I've heard fantastic reports about the, the developments there and the quality of the wine. So definitely, I think I can learn a lot there. Well, that's interesting. And again, Johan, congratulations with a uh, fantastic achievement. Um, Simon, you know, you mentioned the wine route and everything. So when uh, people come visit the estate, uh, what else can people, what can people actually experience visitors when they come to the estate? You know, the, the uh, after effects of, of the uh, COVID uh, um, virus and the, um, has actually turned our whole uh, offering here upside down because uh, we had the Cuba restaurant here for more than 10 years. And uh, due to the fact that everything was locked down and there are very uh, little tourism happening, we actually closed the restaurant. Um, and uh, at this stage, uh, people can come for uh, a wine tasting which is actually taking place in the uh, uh, what used to be the restaurant. So a very nice uh, setting, very comfortable and beautiful uh, uh, to sit outside in summer with the all the magnificent Stellenbosch mountains around you. And you know, if you sit on our uh, stoop outside, you can actually see all the Stellenbosch mountains as well as Table Mountain. And you know, I I've been living here for my whole life. And it was many years until I realized that there are not many places in Stellenbosch where you can see Table Mountain as well as the, the whole mm. uh, amphitheater of all Stellenbosch mountains. So uh, it is a, a spectacular place to be. Um, we do cellar tours and um, also uh, we do uh, platters for people who want to eat something light. Uh, cheese platter or a, a charcuterie platter. If people make a special uh, a booking and an arrangement, um, we can always uh, do a, a special disgorging experience, which uh, means that uh, each person gets its own um, opportunity to disgorge a bottle of uh, funkel by hand. Wow. And that is, uh, uh, that's quite an exhilarating experience. And then afterwards, you uh, you can take that bottle with you. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, 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 yeah, you're mentioning um, the coronavirus. Um, and um, there's actually two things I, 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 I forgot to ask you. Uh, you mentioned that your, that your uh, wines are sold um, worldwide, obviously. But um, um, and now with the... Well, my, my question has two parts. Firstly, where are your wines sold? And secondly, with the coronavirus has forced all of us to to really um, look at your business models and, and rethink it. Do you have any new ideas or changes in mind in this regard? Yeah, be, before I get to that, I just realized we also have a vineyard here planted as a labyrinth. You know, a labyrinth is, uh, is different to a maze. The maze is the one that you get lost in. But a labyrinth is you walk to the center and it's like a spiritual journey. So sometimes you see it quite often on the floors of the big cathedrals in mm. in France. Um, so this is a vineyard planted with uh, Cabernet Sauvignon right next to the tasting room. So if people come here, just uh, go and have a look. Um, yeah, uh, export-wise, we, 
we mainly focus on you know the traditional countries in Europe, mm -hmm. but uh, you know through the years you build up a network. Uh, so we are selling uh, wine in up to 50 countries across the world nowadays, uh, and sometimes you you actually stunned by the fact that you get uh, inquiries from very far off places like Kazakhstan and Estonia and so on. So it's wonderful wow. that South African wines actually become like an ambassador for the country. Um, and I think that generates uh, interest in, in tourism and people wanting to visit the country. So uh, uh, as far as the, as the changes in our in our approach is concerned, uh, definitely uh, it's not possible to travel. So we we had to find other ways of getting in touch with our uh, our consumers and our international partners as well. So a lot of these uh, interactions have taken place uh, via Zoom conferences and actually our uh, annual Vintage Day was done online where we uh, we still sold uh, six packs of of two different wines one was a tiara a vertical of tiara and the vertical of um carps of Funkel. and then people could uh, link up with a panel discussion where we discussed uh, the six vintages of these two wines so that was a very novel experience for us but um all of a sudden you see people tuning in from Belgium or they even uh, from Japan people followed the the tasting online um, which is just shows you new create creating new opportunities um, definitely during the uh, lockdown period uh, online sales was was basically the only uh, route to market we could follow and there's the safe South African wine uh, concept as put a lot of focus on the, the plight of wine farms. So our online business uh, really did exceptionally well and we are very, very grateful for those people who who supported us when, you know, there, there was nothing else going on. We couldn't even export in the early part of the lockdown in April. Well, this is amazing. Uh, when we started that group, people phoned in from all over the world and are posted from all over the world and one guy said that he was in a in a supermarket somewhere i think it was in england and he saw somebody buying a new zealand wine and he walked to him and said go put back that wine and go fetch a south african wine so i thought that was a good story well i think we we have to uh, drink a toast to all the expat south africans who really came to the to the fore and to the joint forces and and uh, promoted South African wine, um, and I just want to thank them and definitely want to encourage them to never stop doing that um, because the, the wine industry uh, maybe is the, the easiest way for them to link back to, to their homeland. And secondly, it, it does employ a lot of people. You know, it's the livelihood of uh, some 300,000 people uh, in South Africa, which is enormous uh, employer and uh, people rely on the on the wine industry for and uh, the living basically well uh, thank you for that Johan, because i think that's right i think one of the things that that certainly opened my eyes is how well our um, 
wine industry is um, appreciated overseas, almost uh, uh, sometimes like uh, almost more than in your own country. I, I personally realized that our wine industry has had a major impact. And um, like I said, the expats um, um, really supported it, but so did um, overseas buyers. Um, which was, which was, you know, um, um, consumers that said, you know, they went out and, and bought South African wines. And um, I think with the tourism season, um, um, I don't know what you guys are finding, but it looks like the tourism season is going to be still a very dry season in terms of tourists coming this year. So, uh, you know, that, that momentum needs to keep going. The guys need to keep supporting. Yeah, I think the, the, uh, the restrictions on on flights and and uh, now there's signs of this big second wave in in Europe, even mm. in South Africa, the uh, restrictions will definitely be with us for for the foreseeable future. And uh, hopefully, the the vaccine could uh, start turning the tides. But that's that's perhaps also uh, not going to happen overnight. Um, but Wine is something that uh, when the restaurants closed down, I think a lot of people uh, started to dine in instead of dine out. Mm. And what we've seen, which I, I'm still battling to, to fully uh, explain, is the fact that we've seen that people are buying up uh, on the export market. So it, it looks like they say, okay, in a restaurant, they would have paid X and are they willing to spend a bit more on on a, on a bottle of wine uh, because they compare it to the prices they were paying in the restaurant? So we've seen that uh, the, the definitely a higher uh, price point uh, achieved by the wine uh, by wines overseas. So that's very positive. Well, that's that's very good news. Is what's what's interesting to me is um, you know you mentioned the online sales and you know the buzzword is direct to consumer. But I always I just looked um, earlier this week at Amazon sales how that's increased you know not just for wine but obviously for everything is 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 going direct to consumer. Do you think this online trend is is this something that you guys are investing in to 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 um uh, to get wine um to consumer? You you obviously already have an online store, but is there ways to make that better? And and also the uh, the other thing is the communication to the consumer. I think. Um, what this whole thing has opened that you mentioned is that you can actually, when you sell into a distributor, you don't necessarily communicate to your um, end consumer, whereas that is giving you the opportunity to maybe talk to people that are actually enjoying your wine. Yeah, um, you know, on the on the domestic market, we have a very strong footprint uh, through our, um, you know, the conventional distribution channels with. Uh, uh, all the retailers out there and um, also both the, the off-consumption as well as the on-consumption. And I think we we are we respect that because those people have been our supporters and our loyal customers for a very long time. Awesome. So um, it is never our idea to, to go to the market uh, and undercut those people. That would be a very... Um, disastrous thing to do but quite often some of the retailers have their own uh, online platforms because they are closer to their uh, regionally to their customer and uh, so in that respect it's something that we we um, work with them um, and uh, our own online uh, business was very handy during the, the lockdown period 
but then it was also not in, in competition with uh, mm. our retail partners. The interesting thing is now you go to um, overseas, you go to Europe, uh, where there's no borders anymore, no taxes and so on. So uh, there we also have uh, people importing our wines and selling it into the markets. But uh, the one um, dilemma we we have seen is that uh, the online business uh, interferes in certain countries uh, with the with our uh, importers' business. So we we're still finding our feet because things change so rapidly that um, you you have to make sort of think on your feet to to uh, keep up with the, the rapidly changing market situation. Um, and uh, the same thing applies, you know, the relationships you build with those uh, traditional long-standing partners uh, are very, very valuable. And we have to respect that uh, not to disrupt the, well, that's the relationship. I yes. think that's important, Johan, what, what you just said is uh, um, basically comes to the next question is that you keep learning and, 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 and you know, it's, it's a journey as the world, and the world is changing at such a rapid rate. And, um, you know, it's, it's having that balance of, of, of respecting old relationships, but also um, embracing the new in some way that can be a win-win, you know, a long-term sustainable solution. But um, that brings to my question is your wine journey has been quite interesting and you obviously had a long wine journey. What is the most important thing that you've learned? Um, you know, I think I always believe that you must respect wine. Um, that I think is the, the basis of your uh, approach to wine. But the, the most important thing that I've realized is that never underestimate the importance of the tiniest little thing on the on the quality and the end result of the wine um, you know when you taste wine and you smell wine your nose and your senses can can detect certain flavors that are um, measured in nanograms like a millionth of a gram so you are you are so uh, the, the wine and changes in the wine is detected by your senses and in minor microscopic quantities. So don't even something small that you think is is not important can have an effect. Um, yeah, I think that that's part of the respect. Don't just treat it like um, an everyday thing. It is still something very very special. Well, John, that was spoken like the winemaker of the year. That's, that's awesome. Um, can you give us your very own wine quote? You know, when I I, I thought about this, um, and it, it sort of adds on to what I've just said about the, the small things that matter, uh, but the difference between a good wine and a great wine is the compound effect of doing many small things better. So... It uh, sums up the the Japanese have got a, a philosophy called Kaizen, which means incremental improvement. Mm -hmm. But if you take last year's increment with this year's increment, 
it all adds up. And I think that um, uh, is what experience brings to you and spending a long time um, with the, the wines that you make. Uh, it's like honing your skills, but also um, it's mastering the craft over a long time. Johan, I mean, that's awesome. And uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, if people want to uh, get hold of, of you or they want to get know more about Simon Sir, or they want to come and visit, how do they get hold of you guys? Um, well, you can look at our website, uh, uh, simonsig.co.za. Uh, you can, uh, all our contact details are there. Um, and they can uh, get in touch. Uh, the tasting room is open uh, seven days a week, and except for just a few religious holidays, uh, Christmas Day, Good Friday, and uh, New Year's Day. So um, you're most welcome to, to visit. Uh, we, we firmly believe that the wine always tastes best under the roof it was made. So, uh, especially in this time when we are, uh, we've all got a bit of cabin fever after this year, get in the car and get some fresh air in the winelands. It's, uh, it's a beautiful place to visit. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I think uh, the most beautiful winelands in the whole world. So uh, you're welcome to contact us and, uh, and uh, come and enjoy the day. And uh, it's, often uh, not only about the wine, but it's about the experience. Johan, thank you so much. Um, we appreciate the time you spent um, and um, have a fantastic um, rest of 2020 and uh, good luck for next year. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, being a very interesting talk. And uh, as we sit here, you know, I think in just a bit more than a month, uh, we'll be uh, harvesting 2021. So it's almost uh, as a I'm getting a few butterflies in my tummy if I have to think about that. But um, after 38 vintages, uh, I know what to expect, but uh, it, it's a mixture of excitement and uh, tension. Thank you for supporting our show. If you would like to get more exposure for your business, please have a look at our sponsorship options. Thanks again for supporting About the Winelands. Please follow us on YouTube and on our social media channels. All details and links are in the description.